We're going to turn our attention now back to this dialogue that we're having about being beautifully bothered. This is a this is a conversation that I think is important for each of us, whether you are here today and you are searching for God, and you may not even know what that looks like. You may be in, in a position like I was over 30 years ago when I was searching for God. I didn't really know how to put words on it. I just knew that internally I was looking for something beyond what my life was giving. And some people come to Christ at the bottom of their life, at the bottom of their situation, in the toughest of situations. I happened to come to God when I was at the top of my game because I, I realized that even at the top of my game, which I had worked very hard for and I was living in Boston, and I thought, man, this, is, this cannot be all to life. But beyond that, beyond those human circumstances, God supernaturally moves us unsettles us, beautifully bothers us to recognize that there is something more. In other words, I didn't read just a self-help book. I didn't see a TV show. I didn't see something, you know, in a, in a pamphlet. I'm like, oh, I guess that, that totally makes sense to me intellectually or emotionally or socially. Truly, when God is calling us and, and moving us, there is this sense of being beautifully bothered. It doesn't only happen when in that time before we come to Christ, I believe that God beautifully bothers us after we come to Christ, that he's always stirring, always settling, unsettling, always moving in us so that we move from one place to the next. I don't know if you've ever, I'm sure you actually have had this this situation in your life where you've been somewhere and it's really fantastic. And in that moment, you're like, God, oh, man, I wish so-and-so were here. That person comes to mind. Maybe it's an experience. Maybe you've taken a hike. Maybe you're at a restaurant. I feel that every time we have jazz night. We had jazz night Friday night. Oh, man, it was just fantastic. We just did a lot of interactions. And I thought, oh, man, there are a couple of people. I'm like, oh, it would have been great to introduce these guys. Um, whatever that is for you, you know the feeling, right? Like, oh, I, I wish that person were here. The opposite is also true. There are times in our lives where we've experienced something just terrible and we're like, I want to tell somebody about it. I want to make sure that they don't experience the same thing I just did. You go to a crummy restaurant and somebody asks you, oh, don't go there. You know, I got, you know, I was, you know, in bed sick for seven days after I ate there or, you know, they, they fry everything and deep you know, uh, oil and, and they don't serve kale or whatever that thing is that you just don't like the restaurant. It can be something that simple. But there's also this sense of danger. So my son and I, last Sunday afternoon, we were out at Erfer Park playing together. And uh, it, the time got the best of us. It started getting, you know, darker. And so by the time we got home, it was it was well after dusk. And uh, he was walking to the front door, and he just turned around with this like this this pent up energy. Dad, don't don't go any further. I'm like, what, what is it? And as it turned out, there was a snake laying right there at the front door. You know, we got that little alcove thing. And so he was bothered by that because you have to ask yourself a question. You know, what kind of human being with any kind of character would just let that go? You know, let's let's just see Dad step on the snake. In other words, he was bothered enough by something negative that he turned and said, hey, dad, don't don't experience this because it's not going to be, you know, helpful. So uh, my wife and I were walking yesterday in the neighborhood. We turned the corner and this is what we saw on on our street. 
And so she kept walking, and she, I said, hey, stop, stop, stop. There, you know, what is that? And she goes, oh, it's a dog. I'm like, that is not a dog. The ears are too pointy. The tail is too long. And as it turns out, it's a bobcat. And the bobcat, you can't tell from our, our, our you know, from this picture, because we, this is as comfortable as I felt getting close to it. It was about a meter and a half long. And you can see in the next picture, this is him lurking across the street. There he goes, right? And so... Um, so, you know, you turn the corner, you see, you see somebody else walking the sidewalk. Now listen, uh, we're not taking credit because any of you, any person with any kind of character is going to say what? Hey, watch out. There's a bobcat right around the corner. It's not something you say every day. There, watch out. Who's going to stand in the bushes with your iPhone and take a, you know, a video of your neighbor walking? Let's see how it rolls out with them. You know, that'd be interesting. I could show that at church. That'd be cool. Let's watch two people freak out and have a heart attack. The balance of the gospel is exactly this. It is from something to something. And that from something is the part that you would want to say to someone, you don't want to experience this. It's the part that we would say, I, I, I feel bothered enough by what this is to say something to you. Then there's the two part of the gospel. Oh, where we're going towards, what God has to offer, what, what we look forward to. Not only is this, it's the from part of the gospel, but it's also the to part of the gospel. So I'm, I'm reading this book right now. It's called The Four Disciplines of Execution. I live such an exciting life. I, I tell you, I read these. It's a business book. And it's a leadership book of how to, to lead organizations, how to lead staff, a staff, how to lead individuals. And the very core basis of the book is from X to Y. In other words, leaders move people. Leaders move churches and organizations. They move their companies. They move managers. They move employees. They move individuals from X to Y. So in that sense, the gospel of Jesus Christ is from X to Y. That is the, that is the, the, the basis of, of, uh, of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I will say to you that this is the distinguishing mark between the gospel of Jesus Christ and every other religious, uh, religion in the world speaking respectfully. What I mean by that is this, that when you look at other religions, they still have the principle of I'm moving from something to something. But the difference is that in religion, there is a, a layering, a gradation, so to speak, from X to Y. In other words, you're this, and if you work hard enough, step by step by step, you can reach Y. You can reach a better life. You can reach heaven. You can reach eternity. You can reach nirvana, whatever that might be. Let's take Buddhism. Again, respectfully. Buddhism says that without the help of God, because God is not part of the mix, that you can, over time and a lot of human effort, reach this level of nirvana. That it is not all of a sudden you're there, but you have to work for it. Many religions of the world say that eternity is the prize. 
And if you work hard enough, then you get there. The challenge is that when you're in religion, you never quite know that if you've worked hard enough from X in order to achieve Y, in order to attain Y, in order to receive Y. So if you're steeped in religion, what happens is the moment that you're right on your last breath, you do not have the assurance that you've done enough of X or enough to get away from X in order to land on Y. The gospel of Jesus Christ is stunningly different. There is no gradation from X to Y. It is absolutely instantaneous. In other words, when God comes to us and he finds us where we are, he is not asking us to work hard enough to get right with him. He instantaneously turns us from a life of sin, a life of disobedience, a life of separation, and automatically, because of not of what we do, but what Christ has done, automatically, instantaneously, we are transferred to a different place. That is the best news, by the way, you will hear all Christmas season. When we see the gospel, it does not just begin in the New Testament. It begins even in the Old Testament. As we enter this Christmas season, Isaiah chapter 9 is one that we often turn to. And in this, in this passage, we see the from X to Y aspect of the gospel. Watch this, Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 2. The people walking in darkness, X, have seen a great light to Y, from X to Y, from darkness to light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Now watch this. There is nowhere in the Bible that says that we move from a layer of deep darkness to a little less darkness to like, whoo, we're almost out of darkness to, hey, I'm seeing a little light. Hey, it's getting brighter. And wow, I'm there. There's nothing in the scripture, nothing in the Bible that says that whatsoever. In other words, when Christ comes and we find ourselves in deep darkness, there are no different shades to get to light. It is either X or Y and nothing in between. John chapter 8, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, not a shade of darkness, not an ounce of darkness. Whoever follows me will completely instantaneously never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And in Ephesians 5, chapter verse 8, this is such a, 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 a nutshell capturing of the gospel of Jesus. Watch this. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So as believers, this is where we know that God has taken us from, from darkness into light. Now, if you're here this morning, and you've come looking, you've come searching, you've come wondering, you've come with questions. It is a perfect place and a safe place to be. But I will tell you that this is not just about convincing you of the facts of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not convincing you that here are the, here are the historic facts about Jesus. That's not what coming to Christ means. That's not what following Christ means. What following Christ means is this that we are separated from God. We are separate from him because of the of of who we are as sinners. We are we are born into this world 
handicapped, so to speak. And then as we live, we begin to understand that, man, there is something missing here. There is a separation that's going on between me and God. And what happens is that God begins to, to, to beautifully bother us about that separation. And there may be times, if you're like me, that I began to try to be better. I tried to move from X to Y. I tried in my own strength to say, man, I gotta be a better person. I gotta do this. I gotta quit doing this. I gotta start doing this. And every single time, like, man, it just feels like to me, not knowing anything about God, it feels like to me, I'm missing the mark. It feels like to me, I just can't quite get it. It feels like to me, man, I started and then I stopped. I started and I failed. I began to run and then I stumbled. That's because God is proving to us in that period of time, and maybe this is exactly where you are. God is proving that in that period of time when you're searching for God, you will never, ever be good enough and do it well enough that you can get to a a place where you're right with God. It is a huge relief that you can say, man, I... Wow, you, are you telling me that I don't have to try? Absolutely. We come to Christ and we say, God, I am a sinner. I'm broken. I'm separate from you. And I am asking God that I, by, by, by faith, I'm reaching out to you and not to what I do, but the finished work of Jesus on the cross, that he died for us, that his blood was shed for all of our sin so that I might turn from darkness into light. When we make that decision in our life, we not only in that moment become a child of God. In other words, we are born a second time. But in that moment, God calls us then to take what we've experienced, this from X to Y, from darkness into light. And he appoints us to be servants, to be custodians, to be stewards, to be managers of this message and witnesses for him. So we're going to look today in the in the 26th chapter of the book of Acts. If you have your Bible with you, I, I invite you to turn there because we're going to hover there for a little bit. If you have your devices, your iPads, your iBibles, your iPhones, your iWhatever, you can uh, turn there with me, Acts chapter 26. Let me give you a, a, a backdrop of what's going on here. In Acts chapter 26, there's a man named Paul, and he's, he's telling his story once again. In the New Testament, the New Testament begins with four books, and they're the stories of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. These were men that were were putting on record for us the stories of Jesus and what, it, what happened in his life. The fifth book, however, is called the Acts of the Apostles or the Actions of the Apostles. This is when God is launching the church for the first time, launching believers into to the world, and we have the luxury of seeing how all that went down in the book of Acts. One of the central figures in the book of Acts, his name is Paul. And Paul had a riveting from X to Y experience. And he tells this story several times in the book of Acts. And when he, he tells this story, you can tell he begins in Acts chapter 9. We're in Acts chapter 26 near the end of the book. That there's something happened that happens over the, that course of years. And I would propose to you that the more he lived as a Christian, the deeper appreciation that he had from X to Y of what happened to him. This morning, 
we had, after our first service, a man that I saw sitting over in the corner by himself after the service, probably in his upper 60s, 70s. He was weeping uncontrollably. And I, I went over to him. I said, are you okay? Is there anything I, we can talk about? And he said, no, I'm just absolutely beautifully broken for the gospel. And I've been a Christian for many, many years. The longer that you live, the longer that you dig in and follow Christ, the more you appreciate that where we were and where we, where we are. You appreciate the fact the older you get, the more mistakes you make. The deeper the mistakes that you know, you know the big ones. You've done the big ones. You've you've messed it up. When you're when you're you know twelve and thirteen, you think I'm 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 good, but when you get to my age and, and you you begin to think, man, this thing was sweeter than I thought it was. My mistakes are stinkier than I thought they were. My failures, my sin, my brokenness, my idiocy, my more my moronness. Is that a word? <laughs> And the deeper you live as a follower of Christ, the more deeper your appreciation gets. You see, Paul, I believe that if you were a companion to Paul and you walk, you traveled around, some guys traveled around, Silas, Barnabas, Timothy, they traveled around with Paul. And, and as Paul got, you know, going, he began to recount the story of his conversion, his intersection with Christ. I just got to imagine that if you were with Paul, like, hey, here it comes, here comes the story again. I used to work with a guy who was a, a dynamic uh, African-American gospel preacher, and we would go, and he would tell the same message every time because it was a different audience every time we'd, we'd go around. And he would tell this story about it. He was in a car accident, and he needed a witness and everything. And every time he would begin to tell the story, my heart, I would just like my, I could feel my, my barometer going like, oh, cool. He's going to tell the, you know, the, the car crash story and how he needed a witness and how Jesus, blah, blah. I mean, here it comes. So I can imagine if you walked around with Paul, like, oh, here comes the story again. Because see, Paul was anti-Christian. He wasn't just indifferent, if you know the story. He hated Christians to the point that he supported the murder of Christians in that day. And God got a hold of him on a, on a road that was leading to a place named Damascus. And on that road to Damascus, Christ intervened in a miraculous way. And this light shone and he was blinded by the light. People were with him that fell to the ground. So it was a story to be told for sure. But he just didn't focus on the story itself the older he got. He understood that Christ did not just call him to save him from X to Y, but to be a messenger and a servant to the X and Y gospel. Watch Acts chapter 26, verse 16. Jesus is now speaking to Paul. Paul is telling, recounting the story, retelling the story. He's actually in trial. He's telling the story to a man named King Agrippa. And now he's telling once again how Christ changed his life. But watch what happens. Jesus, he's saying, now, Agrippa, this is what Christ said to me on that day where I was blinded and I saw this light and he changed my life. And Jesus said to me in that moment, now get up and stand on your feet. You see, when Christ calls us, he's not waiting for us. To go to seminary 
before we can share the from X to Y gospel with other people. I'm so glad that Jesus didn't say, now, Paul, now that you, I, I've intervened in your life, make sure you read at least 27 books before we get on with it. You see, God, sometimes we think of, uh, of God and, and, and especially Jesus as this, you know, meek and mild thing. You've heard pre- preachers say this many times. You know, he's the guy there with, you know, a British accent somehow and, uh, you know, holding little lambs and all that jazz. But in this moment, after this blinding experience, Jesus is saying to Paul, get up on your feet as he says to every single one of us, when we become a child of God, he doesn't wait around. He says, let's get busy. I have some places I want you to go right now. Jesus said to him, get up, stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to save you. He didn't say that. I have appeared to you to not only save you, kind of implied, I've appeared to you to appoint you. I've appeared to you to appoint you as a servant, a custodian of the gospel, and as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. You see, here's the deal. I am so glad that Jesus used those two words because anybody, even if you've only been a Christian, for two minutes can can fulfill the role of those two words. In other words, Jesus is saying, I want you to be a servant. And a servant says, I will. If you're asking me to go, to stand up, to, to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, to open my mouth, I will. Yes, I will. If you're asking me to be a witness of what I, I has happened to me, I can. So it's an I will and I can. You see, some people, many people, in fact, because I know that I'm touching some, some, some strings here, some hot spots, because statistically, Christians, as Christians, we do a fairly lousy job, a weak job at sharing our faith. And so today, what I'm, what, what I'm hoping that we can do is allow the Word of God, allow what happened to Paul to, to, instigate something in us, to beautifully bother something in us that we might say, wow, I've been appointed. I just haven't been saved. I've been appointed. God has given me an appointment, an assignment to be a steward, a servant, to, to say, I will because I can, because I'm a witness of what God's done. In other words, many people will say, you know, if I open my mouth for Jesus, I'm not sure, of course, what's going to happen, right? In other words, I might blow it. I may, I, I may offend somebody. Uh, I don't know if they're going to like me afterwards. And so uh, I'm going to keep it to myself. Or more commonly, people will say, you know, what if they ask me, so you're a Christian. What is your worldview on the difference between Judaism and Christianity? What is the difference between a Hindu and a Christian? And you're going to go with Fred Flintstone, yabba-dabba-doo. You don't know what the answer is, right? And because of that, you think, well, I can't be that. I'm not an expert. I can't share uh, the, the, uh, the gospel with somebody else. And what Jesus is saying to Paul is, I'm asking you to be an obedient servant, someone that will just be pliable and say yes, but I'm asking you to be a witness to what has happened in your life. 
You don't need a degree in order to be able to do that. You can say, you know, I don't know right now what the difference between a Hindu or a Christian. Or you could be smart aleck and you could say they're spelled differently and that's all I know. That's all you can leave it at that. You can say, I can find out, but here's the thing I do know. That I was blind, but now I see. Here's the thing I do know. I was self-centric and now God has changed that where my different, I have a different worldview of wanting to help people, of wanting to love people, of wanting to reach out. I never had that before. Before I was nervous about death. Now I'm happy about seeing eternity. Before I was questioning everything. Now God has given me assurance. Before I didn't know anything about the Bible and there was nothing. It was like a religious book. Now I'm reading and it's come alive. God is not asking for experts. He's asking for witnesses who will say yes to him. And I'm looking at a room full of people that I'm going to say, for God, you're qualified. You're qualified because of what God has done. I think the 12 of you that are excited, that's amazing. Way to go. Jesus started with 12. That's awesome. Now think for just a second. If you're a Christian and you're sitting in the room today, the only reason that you're a Christian, listen, the only reason that you're a Christian is because someone said yes to God as a servant and became a witness for the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the only reason. For me, it was a trumpet player, a, a college student who, took, who had the guts enough and the obedience enough to God to go to a colleague in college, which is a big deal, and say, do you know Jesus? I don't even know his last name. I can't wait to see him in heaven. Guess who's here? Surprise. Because remember that conversation we had back in 1979 in that corner practice room where you had enough guts to ask me about Jesus? Thanks for saying yes to God. And thanks for sharing what he had done for you in your life. To my knowledge, there's none of us sitting in this room that just happened to be out of the celery field, sitting on the side of a mountain, saw a little fluffy cloud that was in the shape of a cross. You know, I think I'll come to Jesus. We hear of areas in the world where God has moved in such a way where people stunningly have had visions of Someone bringing the Bible, or visions of a, a, a light or a, a savior. But God uses human beings, and it wasn't until a missionary was an obedient servant enough to say yes to God, to get on a plane or a boat and go there so that God could use them, and then they came to Christ. God is asking us to be beautifully bothered enough. So as you begin the Christmas season... We always turn to the book of Luke, who tells the story of the gospel story. If you haven't read the book of Luke, certainly you've seen Charlie Brown. Linus tells a story from Luke chapter 2. And the book of Luke starts this way. This is why I love the Bible. This, the consistency is stunning. Jesus told Paul, I have appointed you. I have appeared to you to appoint you to be a servant and a witness for me. Watch. Here's the thing that we see in the very beginning of the gospel, the story, 
that was told by Luke, Luke chapter 1 and verse 1. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. He's talking about here's all the things that happened with Jesus. You see, Luke was not one of the twelve. He didn't walk with Christ. He was a recipient of someone. Watch. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. Just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. You see, Luke is saying, I wouldn't even be here. Luke was a Gentile. He was not a Jew. Matthew was a Jewish man. He, he, he was kind of in the mix. But here's a guy named, a guy named Luke who was a Gentile. He, he wasn't in the mix. And the only reason he's saying, the only reason that I have come to Christ is because it was handed down from someone that was said yes to God as a servant and someone that would tell as a witness of what happened to them. I look at Paul. And he's so beautifully bothered to tell others about Jesus Christ. I think it's appropriate for us and valuable for us to say, what was it that bothered Paul so much that he shared this from X to Y gospel with everybody? In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 16, Paul says of this, I am compelled to preach. In other words, I'm weighted. I must. I, I, there's this thing in me that's just so beautifully bothering me that I must share what has happened in my life to somebody else. And then he goes on to say, woe is me, shame on me if I don't preach the gospel. You kind of wonder what that is, don't you? I mean, in other words, if you're sitting there like, yeah, you know, my, I, I'm kind of doing um, somewhere between sharing my faith kind of maybe to nothing. I think it's valuable for us to look at, the, at, at a guy like Paul and say, what is it that drove him so much? Because you might say, man, I really want to be bothered by that. I want to be bothered by the fact that, that I have been saved from darkness to light, and yet I'm not saying anything about it. There's a snake at the front door, and I'm not saying anything. There's a bobcat in the neighborhood. I'm standing in the bushes with an iPhone. There's a gospel this is the power to save. And I'm quiet. Would to God that we would be more beautifully bothered about that. So let's look at what it is with Paul back in Acts chapter 26. You see, I think Paul understands the vivid reality of both X and Y. Watch. In verse 17 of Acts 26, Jesus speaking to Paul says this. Not only am I, I've appeared to you to appoint you, right, as a servant and a witness. In verse 17, he says, I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles, and I'm sending you to them, from and to. Why? To open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light. There it is again. And from the power of Satan to God, so that they might receive forgiveness of sins and to a place, the major two, to a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Let me break it down for you. I'm going to get real, real here. And I'm going to do it as respectfully as I know how. Listen, I'm broken for the American church culture. You know that. And I'm broken for the American church culture because it's very troubling that we continue 
to try to make this whole truth more attractive and we make it more attractive by chiseling away what would someone be considered the hard edges of truth. We are not doing anyone any favors by only giving, giving out partial truth. The words that Jesus is saying to Paul are riveting. Here's what Jesus is saying to Paul at the moment of his conversion. I have called you from darkness to light, but I've appointed you to say something, to stand up and get on your feet. And let me tell you why, Paul, because we're not playing with the game. This is not only, hey, I wonder if you'd come to my church. I wonder if you'd like Jesus a little bit more. I wonder if you've ever considered, you know, that it's just maybe one of your options. You know, the, the strongest religion in America right now is pluralism. That means that all roads lead to God. It doesn't matter. You have a little of this, a little of that. And what Jesus is saying to Paul is this. Hey, Paul, listen, stand up. Stand on your feet. Get ready because this is not a religious game. People without Christ, as we all are or were at one point in our life, people without Christ are in darkness. That means darkness about eternity, darkness about hope, darkness about peace, darkness about compassion, darkness about the cross, darkness about the word of God, darkness about the amazing wideness of the gospel of where we're heading, darkness about heaven, darkness and separation, Darkness in knowing that there is a destination for eternity away from God. And then he says, and they're under the power of Satan. Now, I'm not suggesting that you do this at the water cooler. Hey, Bob, did you know you're under the power of Satan? Want to come to church on Sunday? (laughs) What I am saying as believers that we must understand the absolute vivid reality of X from X to Y before Christ. We, we have, we, about three or four months ago, we said, hey, I want to encourage you to have a primary receiver. A person without Christ is going to be your primary, they're going to receive your prayer. They're going to receive your attention. They're going to receive the, the, your time. They're going to receive your company. They're going to receive from you, you sharing the gospel with them. Now, it doesn't mean that's the only person we share with, but we want you to, we're asking, encouraging, who is that person that's on your knees? The guy, my primary receiver lives eight houses from me in my neighborhood. Every morning I'm saying, God, God, open a door. And it's amazing. I'm in the neighborhood. There he is again. There he is again. There he is again. God makes these intersections if we ask. Why? Because I want him to come to a neat church with a weird name, 360. Because I think our music is good. Because I like the shirts I wear. And he'll think I'm cool when I stand in front of people. Because we got jazz nights. I'm saying, God, beautifully bother me. Bother me. Unsettle me. Because see, my friend who I love it's much worse than a bobcat. There is this unsettling of like, oh, he's in darkness and he doesn't know peace and love and assurance and all those things. And God, I'm asking you because of that, I want you to bother. See, I believe when we read Paul, he says, man, I am, I am compelled to preach because I understand the reality of where people are without Christ. It can't be described. But you say, hey, man, that's a little too heavy for me. Hey, 
If, you're not a, if, if you don't let God bother you about that, let God bother you about the why. In other words, this is the jazz party. This is the why. In other words, this is where, where, where we say, oh, you know, this is where we're going. You remember Jesus at the end of his life? He said, hey, guys, gather up. This is my swan song. We're at the bottom of the ninth. And my time of death is, 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 is right around the corner. And he could see that they were deflated. He could see the troubling as we would be. And you know, when I'm reading the Bible, you gotta, the Bible is very exciting. It just have to, it's, a, it's how you look through it. You know, the lens that you look through. You know, so he, he gathers them up and, and you can almost feel the gleam in his eye. Hey, guys, get closer. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't be down about this. You see, because, and you, you can almost feel it in his voice, because in my father's house, man, there's many rooms. I've been there. Christ would say, I've been there. It's amazing. God is creating something amazing. And he said, I'm going to go, but where I go, I'm going to come back and I'm going to take you guys to be with me where I am. So he's not only compelled of like, hey, I'm excited for you to, 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 from, to take you from X, but I'm also excited to take you to Y. So if, if Bob is in your company, you say, hey, Bob, I'm excited. I am so compelled to share the gospel with you because of what Christ will take, where Christ will take you and what he can do in your life. He'll give you peace. He'll give you hope. He'll give you assurance. He'll give you an eternal place in heaven. And Paul says, man, I, this compels me. You see, when I read Jesus and I hear the excitement in his voice, I, what I don't hear is, don't let your hearts be troubled. You know, like those audio tapes we read in the Bible, you know, listen to the Bible. He's much more excited about that. Do you know that Paul supernaturally was caught up into paradise and he got a taste of what it was going to be like? Watch this. Second Corinthians chapter 12, verse four. Paul says, I was caught up. He's talking in this kind of a weird third person thing. I knew a man, but he's talking about himself. He says, I was caught up to paradise. And I heard inexpressible things, things that no one is permitted to tell. I just, do you wonder what in the world that was? I mean, some of you, like, you, you may have pictured in your mind, like, I'm hearing, you know, the Chicago Symphony. Some of you, like, man, I'm hearing, you know, Gregorian chant or whatever. You, you might have an idea of what was that, you know. For me, I'm, I'm, I'm like hoping for something like earth, wind, and fire. You know, like shining star, you know, something like that. You know what I'm talking about? Some of you, like, that's kind of weird. Yeah, it is weird, but whatever. You, you have your own music. And maybe God just lets us have our own mix, you know, when we get there. I don't know. But Paul, think about it. He was there in that moment. He's like, wow, it's inexpressible. Is there anyone in your life where you say, I would be without character if I didn't go to that person and say, it's not only from X, but man, what Christ has for you is amazing. I have friends that are that are stressed over everything. They have no peace in their life. I have friends who are worried about everything. They have no idea where the future is. God gives to us the gospel, the power of the gospel to say, hey, you are a servant and a witness of not only of where to come from, but where to go. There's a little part of the formula today that I've left out intentionally. 
Because it's another layer of urgency as we, as we close today. There's another level of urgency that's part of the gospel. If you say, hey, you know, I'm not real excited about sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Number one, understand your appointment. You are appointed as a servant and a witness. Number two, the vivid reality of X is more horrible than your mind could ever imagine. Number three, the amazing, inexpressible beauty of why is absolutely beyond our comprehension. You can pick any one of those, and I got one more for you. When you read this book, Four Disciplines and Execution, How Leaders Move Organizations and People, there's two words that end this formula, from X to Y. It's from X to Y by when. You see, everybody works better on a deadline. We need to take this old fence from X and paint it to look like new to Y by next Thursday, by when. We all understand that time is short. We all understand that time slips away from each of us. And I believe when you read about Paul and you read his life, not only was he bothered, beautifully bothered, that he was appointed to be a servant and a witness. Not only was he beautifully bothered that people without Christ live in darkness and are facing an eternity of darkness. Not only was he beautifully bothered by the incredible, inexpressible uh, uh, dimension of, of heaven and living with Christ. But it's very clear that he was beautifully bothered to share the gospel because he understood that we live in sand in an hourglass, that time is short. That's why Paul wrote in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 6, 2, I tell you, Paul says, I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Paul ended his story, he was standing in front of King Agrippa. And when he ended his story, telling it one more time, he said these words in Acts twenty six nineteen. So then, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven. Sitting in this room, we're a room full of servants and witnesses. Sitting in this room are those that understand enough of the horribleness of X and understand the and appreciate the inexpressible beauty of why peace assurance hope love heaven eternity security all those things will we be obedient to the vision of god stand up stand up on your feet and go Today we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And we do so because God asked us to remember what he's done on the cross. And today, before we do that, I'm going to ask our band to come up. And they're going to, before we go to communion, just give you a few minutes of of prayer through this song. And I'll tell you that the words of the, the lyrics of this song are about as intense as the message that I've just delivered. I have no 
I have no uh, 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 misconception that what what I've just delivered to you is uh, heavy. And it is intended to be that because I believe, once again, that if we carve away the seriousness of the gospel and the seriousness of our our responsibility as custodians, then we will be less compelled to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I think there are moments where we say, let's understand the vivid reality of what we're dealing with. And so Clay came to me with this song and said, hey, these words are really heavy. I'm like, perfect, because I this message is going to be pretty heavy. But I love the lyrics of this song, and I I'm, I'm, would invite you to pray through this song. Because in essence, what this song is saying is this. Hey, guys, we're not playing around here. We're not playing around. This is war. This is a war against, from darkness against light and light against darkness. And you are part of that battle. So let's listen and pray, and I'll come back up, and, and uh, we'll, we'll go into communion.